0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 to chapter 3, verse 3. Hear God's word. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is God's word.
1: Well, this morning, I have the privilege of introducing a guest speaker. Uh, John Hanna is with us, and I'm glad not only to get a break uh, myself from having to prepare a sermon today, but to have the privilege of hearing from John. John is an old friend, uh, and the way the our denomination works, the PCA, is churches were organized by presbyteries, and so John and I, for the longest time, we're in the same Presbytery, and we would see each other at our regular meetings. A few years ago, the Presbytery multiplied, and so he's on the west side of the Hudson River, so I wouldn't see him as regularly there, uh, but we, we stay connected. We're in sort of a pastor's book club that we see each other. Um, so John was born and raised in Alexandria, not the very famous, world-famous Alexandria, Virginia, but the lesser-known Alexandria, Egypt. I'm just joking about that. He was, he, uh, was born in uh, Alexandria, Egypt, uh, moved to the United States with his family when he was around nine. And uh, an interesting thing about him, he worked as an attorney uh, after, after law school and then went to, to seminary, Westminster Seminary, where, where I happened to have gone um, to, to change his calling to become a minister. And he pastored for a number of years, a church in Rockland County. He was on the pastoral staff there called all souls. And I mentioned that simply because over the years, a good number of Emmanuel families moved into New Jersey and wound up connecting with that church. So, so there's actually a bunch of Emmanuel alumni who would know John. Uh, but he was more recently uh, at a church called restore uh, fellowship in New Jersey and he lives in New Jersey. So he's married to Naveen has five children and, is a big Yankees fan, so I think that's as much as uh, as you need to know about John. But John, really glad to have you with us. Thanks for being with us this morning.
2: Thanks, Scott. It's uh, it's a real privilege for me to be um, with Emmanuel this morning. I've long admired your church from afar, as as Scott uh, just mentioned. We had so I have a number of our closest friends are Emmanuel alumni. And so we'd have people come to us from Emmanuel, uh, you know, sort of time to time. and just noticed that they were just sort of, I would just be impressed by them. I'm just sort of like, they have this quality that was just admirable and and mature and godly. And so uh, one time, your former pastor, Charlie, came and uh, preached at All Souls. And so I invited Charlie over to our home for lunch. And I just sort of sat him down and said, Charlie, what's your secret, man? Like, what do you guys do over there that makes people like this? And he just looked at me and he said, I'm Charlie Drew and you're not. No, he, he didn't do that. No. <laughs> Actually, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Uh, you're Charlie Drew and I'm not. And so really what it is, is that Charlie and, and Scott, and now just Scott really just faithfully ministered over many years, word and prayer and sacraments and service and generosity and, and teaching and discipling. And it's just good fruit. Um, and I've had the privilege of kind of tasting of that fruit and seeing its goodness. So it really is a joy for me to be uh, with you this morning. Um, so let me pray for us. Lord, um, I, I do thank you, Lord, for this gathering, even in this unique technological setting. Lord, I thank you for this gathering of the saints in Christ. Uh, Lord, and so we pray, Lord. We need—we don't need to hear from ourselves. We come knowing that we need to hear from you. So I pray that you would speak clearly, and that I would be your mouthpiece, and that by your Spirit you would apply your Word and your Gospel uh, to all who listen. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so um, so our scripture reading this morning was from is from First John. Uh, so this First John is, is if, if you know the New Testament, or if you don't, it's, very, it's towards the end of the Bible. And so it's a letter from the Apostle John, who is Jesus' disciple. Um, and really, I mean, there's a lot of things you could say about this. this. It's five chapters, but one of the things you can say about it is First John provides clarity for us regarding those things on which our lives depend, not only today, but forever. So in his letter, John writes of good and evil and life and death and love and hate and light and dark and truth and lies and Christ and antichrist. And he really wants us to be very clear about these things. It's imperative for him and really imperative for us that we are not confused about these things, but that we know the difference. Um, And so that we have confidence and do not shrink from him in shame at his coming, as it says in verse 28 of chapter two. And so really what this is, is sort of part of the bigger sort of theme of the scriptures, that is the Bible is designed to prepare you to face God when you will ultimately see him. God's word is designed to give you an eternal perspective so that you live with an eternal perspective. That's what it's it's there for. And so God is doing a long, patient work today, but he cares for you today. He loves you today. He's with you today, but he's with you today with an eternal and ultimate goal in mind. Today, he cares for you. Today, he loves you, but he's, he's doing something awesome. (laughs) So really, the stakes could not be higher. And so as we enter into sort of, as we turn towards chapter three, that we'll focus on, this is the perspective that you were called to enter into. Okay, so, so verse one of chapter three says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And so, um, um, and so this is a word, this word love is one that we find all over First John. And it's a common word in the Bible. It's a common word in Christianity. It's actually a very common word in our world. So a little something. So if you Google the word love, if you do a sort of a search, you get over 15 billion results. So far as I can tell, that's more than for any other word, more than life, more than work, more than even food. Is there anything we love more than food? Well, apparently love. We love love more than we love food. Um, and, so, um, and so that's just, and so by the way, there was a number of people I, I highly paid to do that research for me. Um, so I had to take out a loan. And hopefully I'll be able to make money to pay it back. Anyway, so, so love is a word that we know and that everyone has an idea about. And it's a word therefore that we fill with our own meaning and expectations regarding what that should be like. And we expect that God will fulfill that expectation of what we expect love will be like. So I think God's love is like this. And I believe that God's love should be like that, et cetera, et cetera. However, that's not what it says in our passage. Here it says that there's a kind of love that the Father gives. It's not based on what I think or what you think or expect. We're not its source. It comes from the Father to us in his way, according to his wisdom, his will, his power, his authority. It's not, it's something that we receive that's given to us, right? If I hold on to my idea of love, then I can't open my hands to receive the kind of love the Father gives. Those are my options. My love or your love, O oh Lord. And so you you have to actually let, let go of whatever idea of love that you have in order to, you have to let it go in order to receive the kind of love the Father gives. And so what you need to do, okay, so that's what it says, the kind of love the Father gives. And so it says, and again, in verse one, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. So you need to see this love. And so the, the word see there isn't simply mean to look at and then move on, as if this is something simply you become aware of as a bit of information. For example, you go sightseeing or travel, right? You don't simply look and then move on. Because you've physically seen what's there, right? We never do that. You stay. What do you do? You stay and you absorb, right? Whether it's it's uh, it's natural beauty, right? The Grand Canyon. Nobody just says, Oh, I've seen the Grand Canyon, and then you just sort of walk away. No, you sit there and you 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 drink in, you absorb, you 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 dwell on, you meditate on the Grand Canyon, or if it's a work of art, right? You, you sort of just sit there and, and you stand there and you, and you just, you stare at it, right? And so the better word really than see than, 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 um, than is really behold, which some translation have, right? Examine, look and keep on looking until you get it. Stare if you have to. Study, seek, knock, meditate, pray, cry out, beg, right? Please, I want this until it penetrates your heart and captivates your soul. And here, like the thing is this, right? We know this, I'm not gonna say anything that you don't already know. Much of what I say, you probably already know, right? But here, right, there are so many things that vie for our attention today, like really never before. Right? And, and, and even during this pandemic, we've become absorbed into this sort of technological world of audio and visual. We are, we are they capture attention and we are distracted. And in the middle of all of that, there's something that God wants you to see and have capture your attention and imagination and your minds and your heart above all else. And that is his love. See how marvelous, see how glorious, see how wonderful the love the Father has for us. See it, what kind of love. Now, what is the kind of love? Okay, so see what kind of love the Father has given us. So what is that? Well, again, it's all over 1 John. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. 1 John 4, verses 9 to 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the sacrifice for our sins. So embedded in God's love, right there in its heart, the kind of love the Father gives is that you and I are in desperate need of saving, deliverance, rescue from our sins right there. It's right in the middle of it, that we are lost, cut off from God, dying and on our way to judgment and hell. There, There it is. And that in his great love, God the Father gives God the Son, as we heard earlier in the message, Right, God gives, he's generous. The children's message. God gives the Son to die in our place to deliver and rescue us. So our situation, our trouble, our sin required nothing less than the Son of God, who is God, to fully take on our humanity, bear our sins, plunge down into death and hell, and rise again. This is the kind of love that we had to have, that we must have. This is the kind of love the Father gives to you out of his pleasure out of his goodness, out of his grace. It is, it is God's movement towards us. It's a maximal kind of love. It's, 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 it's as much as could be given is what he gives. That's the kind of love. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? See what kind of love the father has given to us. And so, okay. And so what is the outcome of the kind of love the father gives to you, right? That he wants you to see, to take hold of that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The father's love through Jesus is the kind of love that brings us into his family, the kind of love that makes us his children. When we were lost, when we were determined to go our own way, spiritually dead, orphans, as the scriptures called us, without God and without hope in this world, God comes and he claims you as his own dearly beloved children. And the apostle John says, and so we are, right? He says it, we are his children then he goes like it's true it's really really true can you believe that this is this is the thing that god does for us in his love okay. so god is the perfect father to those who receive his love right he delights in you he is kind and compassionate and faithful and wise to you he's he's loving to you according to himself and according to what he knows you need which always you know been around this life for any period of time. It doesn't always feel like that, right? It's just the reality of it. it's like this is my. I need this, and I need this, and I need that. But he is God Himself, who gave His Son. So if He gave His Son, how will He not also, along with Him, give you everything else, right? So I know that if if you're on this live stream on this Zoom this morning, right, it's probably because what I'm saying. This you know, matters to you. You care enough to be here, to sign on to church. Even on Super Bowl Sunday, when you could be watching the 27-hour pregame show, you've, you've turned away, you've, you've given that up to, to, to come here on this Zoom. Yet, I don't want to be presumptuous about the state of anyone's soul. So I ask you, I ask you sincerely, do you know that kind of love? Do you have that kind of love? Do you want that kind of love? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The search for meaning, the search for identity, right these are lifelong quests that we consciously seek or at least implicitly seek in just about everything that we do. We're always looking for, for meaning, for identity, for things that matter. And so to be called children of God is defining of you above and beyond anything and everything else that tells you who you are, that you are a son and ta- or daughter of God the Father through Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It tells you whose you are. You've been brought into the communion of the living God forever and ever. So to, to be a child of God really is the only firm foundation for an identity. Everything else, anything else that you look to tell you who you are, to tell you what your life is about, to give you meaning, to give you, to, just, to, to give you identity, right? Whether it's accomplishments or your own goodness or people's opinions or, or appearance or strength is fleeting. It's completely and utterly unstable. Do I even need to convince you of that? And yet people are so desperate to find that identity, trying to be a whole new self by their own power constantly over and over. And of course they can't do it because we can't do it. We're not meant to do it. The world and its desires are passing away. You cannot and will not find your life, your value in these things because you're not meant to. To find your identity, your worth anywhere, but in the father's love as his child is to un- undervalue and diminish yourself entirely. It's to make less of yourself than, you, than, you're, than, than, than you're intended to. It's a rejection of yourself at the core of your being. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do what Chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So we are. Now, believe it or not, we're not yet done with verse 1. We're continuing in verse 1. Okay, so continuing in verse 1, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Okay, that's what it says. If so The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So here's the deal. If you take the Father's love and you're being a child of God as identity-shaping and thought-shaping and life-shaping, you need to know something important. So here it is. Okay, listen up. If you if you tune me out, come back. All right? You're going to be weird. You will be inexplicable to the world. And it's not a matter of you trying to stand out or trying to be different. You are different. The world does not know him, that does not know him, will not know or understand you who are his in certain ways. It'll just... You have a distinct and unique identity that governs your life. And the difference isn't from any sense of superiority. Though may be pursuits perceived as such, right? That's possible. It could provoke that kind of response. Oh, who do you think you are? Oh, righteous one or, or whatever. Right? That can happen. But the difference is in having received the gift of God's love and being adopted into his family. So my question to you is this. Can you live like that? Can you live with being different, being weird even? Right? Because listen, here's the reality, right? We all know social conformity is a very, very powerful force. Is it not, right? The fear of social ostracism is powerful. It is a great motivator. I don't want to be different, or at least in in a way that it might be costly. I don't want my, if you have kids and I have kids, I just want my kids to have a good, normal, regular life, right, friends and just do stuff. And I don't, but weird, really? Am I actually raising them to be weird? Yeah, well, if I'm being faithful, I kind of am. That's just, that's part of what I that's part of what we're doing. But maybe you just want to fit in. Here's the question that I ask you. Fit into what? Fit into what? You know, what for what purpose? What is and towards what end? What is that going to get you this fitting in, this this fear of ostracism? And so later in 1st John it says this. It says perfect love casts out fear. So the wonder, the joy, the marvel of God's love and being his child overcomes the fear of being different. That's why you need to see, to have captivate your soul and and, and your heart and mind, the kind of love the father gives so that it drives out. So that kind of almost, you see it for what it is. This fear of being different is really nothing. It's like an idol. It's a false God that, that tempts us, okay? And here's the interesting thing. The world, our society, our culture tells you to be yourself, but actually demands conformity. God tells you you are His, and through that, you actually become who you are meant to be. I'll say that again. The world, our society, our culture tells you, be yourself. You be you, man. But what does it demand? It actually demands conformity. It demands everybody be the same, think the same, do the same. You know, if you, you get out of line, it's like, you know, you get, get smacked around, it's like, get back over there, right? Be yourself, but not really follow our rules, be our way. God says, you're mine. And then in that, you actually become you, the real you, the one that you were always meant to be. So which will you choose? Now, hopefully, (laughs) right? You see that this is not a really, it's not an even contest, but there's not a legitimate contest between these two options. And you know what, I'll add this to it. I think I'll throw this out, you know, pastors are, I'm not supposed to speculate I wouldn't call this speculative. I would just sort of like, you know, because people under authority, I'm here to deliver the word of God to you, but I'll propose this for your consideration, okay? Maybe unspoken in that pressure from others to conform and even possible hostility and failing to conform is a testing to see if there really is a true love that's worth giving up anything and everything for. Maybe people are testing. Maybe even unconsciously, that's what's being tested, explored. If there's something better than what this world has to offer, And if you take your stand, no matter what the cost, then people might be interested in what you're about and what makes you different. Because now they see that there's something that you have that's not worth giving up anything for. You you know of a kind of love that's greater than anything else this world has to offer. So it's when you're weird that actually... People might become interested in you. Nobody, but people, anyone who stands out in this world is kind of strange anyway. Okay, so see, right, that there really is a kind of love worth giving up anything and everything for. Okay, moving on. We are now done with verse one. At this rate, I think I will be done by this removal. Well, hopefully, um, anyway, verse two. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Okay, so the Father's love that makes you children of God tells you again who you are and whose you are. And here it tells you something else. It tells you what your life is about, what you live for, it tells you your purpose, where you're headed right? Having an end result in view, an aspiration is necessary, right? It's, 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 like it, it's what sustains you to keep going when you're tired, when it gets, when it gets difficult, right? You, you need to have like some, some, there needs to be an aim. Otherwise you're like, what, what, am, I, what am I doing this for? Right? So a number of years ago, I attended a college graduation. And the thing that struck me about the whole event was the absence of meaning and even substance. Now I know the graduations are supposed to be boring. It's almost a requirement. I get it. But there was something about the ceremony that was that to me was numbing in its emptiness. And I know I'm wired in certain ways and my brain goes in certain directions. That's fine. But really, this didn't have anything to do with the particular school. Because other than some empty platitudes, like nothing of real value was being said or offered. And I was sitting there thinking like, What are these lives about? Where are these graduates being sent out for? What's the goal? What's the aspiration? What's the mission? What's the point? And the reality is that this is pervasive in our society because in losing God, we lose ourselves. The absence of meaning and purpose is actually an absence of true love. That's what it's an indication of. And what it does then, it makes everyone else vulnerable to a host of false loves to give ourselves meaning and value and some kind of purpose, whether it's a cause or an identity or belonging to a certain group or a relationship after a relationship, right? Because everyone's kind of like looking for that. And so the question I ask is, what are our lives about? Where are we going? What are we striving towards? What are we aiming for? What are you aiming for? And right here it tells us, it says... What we will be has not yet appeared. There's something yet to be where that's, that's coming or that we're headed for, right? And when he appears, it says, we shall be like him. Like who? Like Jesus. The goal of your life is for God to make you more and more like Jesus. That's what he does for you in the kind of love that he gives to you to make you his child. So salvation is not simply deliverance from hell and judgment and destruction, though it is that? And that's really important, right? Being rescued from a terrible fate is wonderful and desperately necessary. Yet it's also salvation is deliverance to something amazing, something wonderful. It's transformation to holiness, to goodness, to being made increasingly like Jesus, the son as the free and fully loved child of God. One day, my dear Emmanuel brothers and sisters, one day you will be fully and finally good without any sin or evil in you at all. That's what, that's what, that's what you're headed towards. You're head, that's the glory to which you're headed. You're not only headed to a destination, the new heavens and new earth, which is going to be awesome, but inside your very being, inside you, you are headed somewhere. And so you may be familiar whether it says in Romans 8 that God works all things together for the good of, uh, for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. And, but what, what is the good? Well, it says that you might be conformed to the image of Jesus, that you might become more. And that's the good that God is working everything towards. And so there will be a day when Jesus Christ is revealed in his fullness and you will see him for the one for whom your hearts has, have always longed. And, and you who have been looking forward to that day, looking for it, preparing for it, on that, at that moment will be like him. One day, Jesus Christ will look at you and see his very own reflection. And in that moment, in that moment, you will realize it will have all been worth it. Everything. Everything will have been worth it. Emmanuel is that not something to live for? Is that not a reason to get up in the morning? Is that not inspiring and encouraging and hopeful? One day you will see him. So you're moving. One day I'm going to see Jesus and I'm and my life is headed in that direction, one. And two, when I see him, I will be like him. Therefore, that's what my life is about. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty awesome. That's a pretty, that's, that's, that's deep, robust stuff that can weaken the pull of the things of this world, which is what it says in verse three. It says this, everyone who, see verse one was long, verse two was a shorter, verse three is gonna be even shorter. We're almost there. Um, everyone who, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The hope that one day you will see him and that in seeing him, you will be like him is purifying. It's cleansing. It's refreshing. It's strengthening. In this hope, you have the power to say no to all those other false logs and hopes that tempt you and lie to you and say, come my way. This is what, this is, this is, I'm going to tell you who you are. I'm going to tell you what your life is about or, or you need to live in fear so that you don't aren't weird. It's just this hope gives you power, it purifies you, and it strengthens you as you as you absorb it. So um, I don't know if you guys are into scripture memory, um, or if you memorize verses, and maybe some of you have what you might call a life verse, verse a verse that you sort of carry and walk around within your head, and if you do, I don't want to take that away from you, okay? Keep that one. Whatever it is, I'm sure it's good, you know? You know, I've been crucified with Christ and it is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If that's your verse and that's what you walk around thinking, awesome. Stick with it. Or if there's some other verse. But if there isn't one, if you don't have a life verse or a verse that you kind of walk around sort of in your heart, in your mind, kind of guiding you, then I think 1 John 3, 1 to 3. Make that, make it that, right? Make make this sort of the the reality that you inhabit as you make your way in this world. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are, right? And and one day when he appears, you will be like him for you will see him as he is. And, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. Make that, that one day you will see Jesus. That's where you're headed. And when you see him, you will be like him. Take that in. Meditate on that. Absorb that, because that's what the kind of love the Father gives you in his great love. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, um, I pray, Lord, that we would see the kind of love that you have given to us, that we have been called children of God. I pray that we would take hold of it. I pray that you would minister by your spirit this amazing truth that in becoming your children, Lord, we are becoming like you, Jesus, the Son of God, being made in the image of the Son, and that one day we would see you. When we finally see your face, we will be like you. Lord, I pray that uh, as we take this hope in, that it would purify us and strengthen us, Lord, and, and and guide our lives. It is so amazing. And so apply this word by your Holy Spirit to, to my brothers and sisters, Lord, my friends and Emmanuel Pres- Presbyterian Church of New York City. And I do thank you, Lord, for, for the privilege, the honor, uh, just the, the gift, Lord, of being able to worship you Uh, with Emmanuel this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.